Cincinnati Jersey all on the block. We get it in. I'm in my Cincinnati Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? You already know it's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan, Coomer. And John Brandon is still on his way to the Hall of Fame. After a resounding victory over East Carolina. It's easy, it's convenient how we continue podcasting after we play the worst teams in our conference. It allows you to continue the narrative, the unfounded narrative that John Brandon somehow deserves a job in the NBA. But we are definitely not going down that road again today. We wasted far too many seconds on it last episode. But yes, since we last dropped the podcast, Hummer, the Bearcats have played two games. On last Thursday, the Bearcats lost to Memphis on their home court, uh, Memphis's home court, that is, 60-49, to a game that had Bearcats Twitter in a massive frenzy, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a little bit. And they also then played again since that, and, and they hosted East Carolina. To no one's surprise, they beat their heads in, 82-57, to and uh, before we before we kind of get into our into what we like, what we don't like, what we love, what we hate, you know, let's go back to the Memphis game, Hummer. And I want to give you a chance maybe to go on a, your soapbox here. The officiating, the elephant in the room is that the officiating in that Memphis game was so atrocious that we're actually going to touch on it on this podcast. And we we like we take pride in not talking about officiating, but it really was a travesty in that game. Yeah. And, you know, frankly, the other thing that upset me is, is not only the officiating, but I made the drive an hour and 45 minutes from my house to, to attend the event of, uh, of the week, the Harrisburg, uh, Bearcat watch party at Gilligan's pub and grill event of the young decade, my man. Like, this was the event of the decade. We had a watch party, our first Cincy Slang and Watch Party in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And and the turnout was disappointing, Hummer. <laughs> well, I want to say that. The two the two best people were there. Uh, no, it, it was fun. But, yeah, we're, we're looking at that. And, and you know, I'm going to talk about the officiating in a bubble. You know, just I don't want it. I don't want it to seem as if this is what lost us the game more of it lost us the opportunity to win the game. It was so bad that you had Jay Bless on, on Twitter, just shooting it, shooting his head off about how bad it was. It wasn't just Bearcat nation. That was, that was noticing this, which was actually kind of relieving in a sense, knowing that we're just, it, it wasn't just us this time. It's not just, Oh, poor me, the Bearcats. But when you're watching Jaron Cumberland drive to the hoop, and just get absolutely mauled more than once consecutive back-to-back drives to the point where John Brandon did something that, while I'm not a fan of it, I don't agree with just you know giving other team points. But he had to he had to get a technical foul. In that technical foul, you know the no call, the technical foul led to an eight basically an eight point swing in the game when we were only down two at that point, and. But, you know, there was so many things going on in that Memphis game. The officiating isn't what lost the game. 
if we actually get get down into the stats, there's a lot of things that we didn't like that we could have done much much better to put us in a be in a better position to win the game outside of officiating. Look, I just thought that the Memphis game it felt like a microcosm though for what's happening in the AAC so far this season. It feels like since we've come into conference play, Jaron's free throw rate has gone down and the calls that he's getting and not getting from officials and and by getting I mean he's getting called for charges almost any time he goes to the hole. And some are founded, right? We know Jaron has control problems on the offensive end in terms of, you know, barreling into the lane. But this reputation now just seems to get him get him the offensive charge call at least once a game just based on his name at this point. And it's it's unacceptable. You know, some of these offensive fouls are just an absolute joke. And in that Memphis game, he was just getting hacked. And and you're right, you know, we couldn't hear the sound in the bar. Uh but when you're reading Twitter and you hear that Jay Billis is validating the concerns that the Bearcat fan base has had for multiple seasons, let alone, you know, even just the last few games, like this guy goes to the hole hard, he gets hacked, he draws contact, and he doesn't get the calls he deserves. And he's the reigning American Athletic Conference Player of the Year. He deserves respect. It's not the NBA where you're going to get superstar calls necessarily, but just call the fouls that are fouls. And in that Memphis game, it it took away UC's opportunity to pull off the comeback, to pull off the upset, and to really put ourselves on the map in terms of getting an at-large tournament bid. So it was an extremely frustrating game from that standpoint. You're right. We shouldn't harp on it any longer than we already have, but it definitely deserved mentioning because it was it was a joke in terms of how, how they officiated that game against Memphis. Yeah, and the only other thing, you know, if there's any... I know, I know the commissioner's not on Twitter. Uh, it's it's really weird to see the American Athletic Conference commissioner not on social media platforms. Uh, you know, to be able to be able to hear that, or but only that, just to also I guess spread news like other normal conferences. Uh, but if he is listening, because he's a big fan, I heard of since he's slanging. That's at least that's what I hear. Fact. Uh, it is not a charge when a player's when a when a player's driving to the lane is in the air. And the defensive player slides in the quote unquote set their feet. That is that is not a charge. <laughs> well, that's kind of a pet peeve of mine in general, just about the sport of basketball. It's time they get that out of the game. You know, this whole idea of being an off ball defender and sliding in at the last second to draw a charge as if that's real defense. It's not real defense. Get it out of the game. It's a dangerous play. It's not uh it's not worth applauding. It's not worth clapping for. Coach K, you're the blame for this. You're the one who made this kind of play. Uh, extremely popular amongst college basketball players. So, you know, let's get it out. Anyway, moving on, Hummer. We've had two games since we last spoke. We had the East Carolina game, a beatdown. We also had the Memphis game, a frustrating loss on their home court. So let's talk about, let's just put the things in perspective in terms of what we love and what we hate about what we've seen recently from the Cincinnati Bearcats. And I'm going to go ahead and give the floor to you. What have you loved or what have you hated recently in terms of this team? I have a love-hate relationship with everybody's favorite player on this team, Jaron Cumberland. I love that he's back in the shape. I love that he's back to scoring 18, 19, 20 points a game. I hate the amount of turnovers he is committing on a nightly basis. 
and it's not I mean, obviously Jaron in particular has had turnover challenges, but he's he's the one he's kind of leading the team in a direction that is going to continue costing us games if we can't find a way to cut back on them. In the Memphis game alone, uh Jaron Cumberland, how many how many turnovers did he have in that game? I see that he had Six. Six turnovers against Memphis, and our team had 16. We all know that this has been an issue for this team all season. And I'm glad you mentioned this. This is a great topic to bring up because after the ECU game, after defeating East Carolina, John Brandon officially announced that Jaron Cumberland is now the official point guard of this team. He's going on ball more often. And in a lot of ways, that's great because he's the best passer on this team. He's 6'5". He can see over the defense. He can make passes over the top of the defense. But if turnovers continue to be an issue, that's going to be a problem for the Bearcats, especially when it comes to playing top competition. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in, in taking a look at the ECU game, and I think this is a trend we'll probably get into later, but it's a it's a team that's not very good. It's not really providing the Bearcats a lot of competition or, or ch- a challenge, if you would. And he played very well. He only had two turnovers. He had seven. So on the other side of that is you have guys like Trey Scott who are also turning the ball over a lot. So another, you know, bad as a whole, not to just single out the team, we're having a, a lot of turnovers. We're playing ECU, and we still had 12 turnovers against a team that's not very defensive-oriented. They're obviously not very good on the offensive side of the ball either. That's This is something where I think we should have saw an improvement from a play like that where we could have gotten under 10 turnovers. Yeah, against ECU, that was kind of the benchmark I had going into that game. I would have liked to see us go 10 or less on the turnover column. Finished with 12. And, you know, going back to Memphis, we started that game with four consecutive turnovers. A Chris Vote travel, a Jaren, a sloppy Jaron Cumberland entry pass, a couple other sloppy passes. The live ball turnovers are killers because when you have a live ball turnover like that, Memphis or any other team is going to go right back down the court and typically get an easy bucket on you. They're going to get transition opportunities. And if we're going to pull upsets going forward, if we're going to beat Houston, if we're going to beat Wichita State, if we're going to you know find a way to, to beat Memphis on our home court, which I think we will, turnovers have to have to go down. They have to trend in the opposite direction. And, and hopefully the ECU game is a start of that. Um, but you're right. If it doesn't, you know, this is going to continue being the pet peeve of the Cincinnati Bearcats this season. Yeah. Um, you know, going back to the Memphis game, we're talking about what it is to do to get themselves in a position to win that game. We're talking about how they were in a position to win that game before before at a turn of events. Uh, they had 16 turnovers. We still, on the defensive side, caused 17 turnovers for Memphis. So on a trend that's still good, Memphis being a very good basketball team, I don't want to discount, you know, or 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 not give them the credit that they deserve for being very a very good team. We held them to 60 points. Like let's let's not let that get lost on Bearcat Nation that we still played a pretty good defensive game. They showed a lot of heart, a lot of fight. At one point we were down, I think at 15 was at one point we were down 15. We went on a run to go up one. 18-2 uh, run. We went on an 18-2 run and the turnovers are a big deal because if you look at Ken Palm, the defensive efficiency of the Bearcats now is top 30 in the nation. They're ranked number 28 in defense right now. If you turn the ball over, you're disrupting that defense's ability to be effective. 
transition opportunities, the inability to get the defense set. We're making our defense worse by turning the ball over. So if you cut those turnovers down, if we find an ability to get the turnovers to you know 10 or 11 or less per game, our defense is going to improve even more. We're going to be one of the best team defensive teams in the country. So it, it's a great starting point for us to talk about in terms of what we love and what we hate. On that same front, Hummer, I'm going to say what I love. You mentioned Cumberland's turnovers. I'm going to say what I love, though, is his conference play thus far. His offensive rating in conference play so far, 109.7. He is absolutely 100% unequivocally back, and I love that. Guess who's back, 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 back again. Cumbie's back, Cumbie's back, Cumbie's back. I love the transparency you have for the soundtrack of your life on this podcast. When, when we talk about something, it's quite obvious what you what's playing in your mind as we talk about things. But, but wow. Cumberland, Cumberland, his play in conference so far has been exceptional. You know, John Brandon saying that the ECU game is when he officially became the point guard. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think he became the point guard that very first conference game against UConn. We saw him running the show in that game. We saw the second half against Tulsa when he's running up and down the court, finding Trey Scott for a drop-off pass for a, a monster slam dunk, finding Javen Cumberland for easy, open three-point looks. Javen Cumberland is running the offensive show at this... Sorry, Jaron Cumberland is running the show offensively for this team. He's scoring, but more importantly, he's facilitating in an exceptional way right now for the Bearcats. Yeah, in... I'm not necessarily going to agree with you that he was 100% the point guard for, for UConn. I think he was becoming the point guard starting in UConn. That's when the beginning of the quote-unquote Brandon point guard, Jaron experiment began. Um, but it's definitely solidified. The right guy is going to, I think, be handling the rock because he is so good. His vision on the court is incredible, how he's able to find some very creative ways at, at, at getting assists and getting the ball to the other side of the quarter, getting it to players, getting it to download to Chris Vote on some passes that sometimes you're like, whoa, what are you doing? But then you, you forget that he's 6'5", passing it to someone who's seven foot, and they have very large wingspans and can get those types of passes. But Jaron's very good at doing that. He's also very good at, at getting into the lane, as we all know, and getting fouled when they actually call them. And, and with the kickout passes, you mentioned, uh, you might have mentioned, or you're going to mention it, Zach Harvey. The, the play of Zach Harvey. Tonight, I saw some some crisp passes from Harvey that I'm sitting there thinking, wow, if later in the season he continues to improve and we can get him in there in a rotation with Jaron Cumberland, being able to to be able to swing the ball out, Jaron driving to the lane, passing it out to Harvey, then can to take that extra pass in the corner down to you know a Javen Cumberland who's wide open for a three or uh, your, your boy, Keith Williams, wide open for a three. You know, I think there's a lot of stuff to look forward to with what Jaron's able to accomplish and, and what other guys on the teams have from a skill set perspective. Well, Jaron's effective field goal percentage on the season is below 50%. It's at 47.1. His true shooting percentage is, a, is barely above 50. But if you take it to conference play, Jaron Cumberland is at 56.6 on effective, and 59.9 on true shooting percentages, which is top, almost top five in the conference at this point. So he's, he's back, man. I just love, I love the intensity, the energy. I love his spryness on the court. 
There's no question about how healthy he is, he is at this point. And he's also crushing it defensively, too. He's all over the place. He's great at deflections. He has incredible instincts on in getting in passing lanes and and uh, and, be, and being disruptive on that end of the court. And then when he gets the ball and is able to push it up the court and find open shooters and find other guys for dunks, he's putting immense pressure on, de- on opposing defenses. Game in, game out. Um couldn't be happier with the conference player of the year that we're getting so far in Jaron Cumberland. Now I'm also upset at Keith Williams tonight because he stole two points from my boy, Trey Scott in a goaltend. <laughs> he, he is purpose. He is, he, he listens to this. I'm guessing and says, I want Hummer to run the beer mile. <laughs> so what you hate Let's put this in the layman's terms. What you hate is that before the season, you made one of the worst bets of your life in thinking Trey Scott would outscore Keith Williams on the season on a points per game basis. Uh, so are you saying, I'm starting to. Are you I'm saying starting you, to regret it. You hate yourself. You hate yourself. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. So what else do you... Uh, Trey uh, Scott did have a good game tonight. Um, you know, he did score 16 to Keith Williams, 8. Should have been six, 18 to Keith Williams eight, but you know, someone just wants to keep that margin a little closer for us. But I think that's going to bring us into, um, Coomer, tell me what you hate. Well, I will say it, Hummer, you know, something I've hated so far. Uh, and, and I, and hate is a very strong word. You know, my, my mom always encouraged me to not use that word, but for yeah, the, love, for the sake lo- of the love, hate for the sake segment. of simplicity, it's titled. a love, hate segment. What I hate, is what I've seen from Trey Scott and Javen Cumberland against the top competition this season for the Bearcats. I'm t- I'm classifying co- top competition as Ohio State, as Xavier, Tennessee, Iowa, and Memphis. The one outlier there is Tennessee. Both of those guys showed up against them. I, in my opinion, that has more to do with the lack of discipline Tennessee had in that particular matchup. But to give them credit, they both showed up in that game. Hummer, in those games, and this is against teams with the best athletes, the best players that we've seen so far this season, Trey Scott has shot 13 of 49 from the field. That's 26.5%. In those games, Javen Cumberland has shot 10 of 33 from the field, good for 30.3%. Why is this a big deal? Because we it's been proven. Trey Scott, in particular, is a fulcrum for this team in terms of how we do. We know when Trey Scott is scoring, when he's dis- when he's active and in- involved in the game on the offensive end, Bearcats are winning games. But what we've seen, and we certainly saw it in the Memphis game, Trey Scott went 2 of 13 from the field, couldn't finish in the paint, seemed to be just overall a little bit intimidated by the size and athleticism of those Memphis bigs. That's something I'm concerned about. We need to find a way. If the Bearcats are going to get to the level we want to see them get to, Trey Scott and Javen Cumberland have to be able to raise their games in those biggest moments. Well, I'll I'll agree to an extent. There, there's one thing that that I don't agree on, and that's that Trey Scott came out with any kind of intimidation. If anything, I can, I think he was he coming out with almost a little overconfidence, where he was pulling up to take shots that just probably weren't the right shot selection. Uh, Really, really poorly contested, you know, mid-range jump shots, uh, just 
you know, the stuff that you shouldn't really be taking and, and maybe looking for an outlet on that because he's doing it early and he was doing it early in the shot clock, I noticed too, against that Memphis game, particularly in that first half. Uh, but I'd also like to, to point out, you know, when you're talking about these games where he did poorly against the elite competition, the team itself wasn't really playing that well together. You know, I wouldn't, I would say we, we've all mentioned this the first good game that we played was Vermont. We didn't have another good game we played until Tennessee, which you your own words attributed to their lack of discipline, which means the next game after that, we really didn't put we, we got into conference play with Connecticut. And for the most part, conference play, we've been playing OK. We've had one really bad loss against a, a really bad Tulane team that that should not have happened. But, you know, what I'm looking forward to with with seeing what's going to happen is we're going to know in the next six games what happens. The next six games, they're going to be able to tell us exactly who Trey Scott is. We're going to get into, yeah, we're going to see what happens in those next six six games. But those games include matchups against Memphis. They include matchups against Wichita State, and they include matchups against Houston. The reason I bring it up is, yes, the team performance against Xavier was bad. The team performance against, against Memphis was bad. The team performance against Ohio State was bad. That said, there were individual performances within those games that were promising. Jaron Cumberland wasn't amazing in all those games, but he has shown an ability to raise his level in the biggest moments. He looked fine against Memphis. Jaron Cumberland can get off in those games. Chris Vogt has shown an ability to score and be effective in most every game this season. I would say Memphis was one of the first games we saw where the quickness and athleticism of their front line was a challenge for him, just like it was Trey Scott. But I know that for us to beat Houston, for us to to beat Wichita State, and for us to beat Memphis, we need more from Trey Scott than that 2 of 13. And you made a great point. It did seem like he was drinking the Kool-Aid in terms of what his role was on this team. You know, I need to get that that 10 to 12 points in order for the Bearcats to win. Let me go ahead and try and get that off early. I I had a buddy of ours text us, uh, or text me, I should say, in the week during this week. And, and compared Trey Scott to Dennis Rodman. And it sounds a bit crazy. It's definitely hyperbolic in terms of how great Dennis Rodman was at rebounding, how great he was at defense. He's on a whole other planet than Trey Scott. But within the world of the Cincinnati Bearcats, that is his role. He's a rebounder, he's a defender, and he's an energy guy. And when he gets points, it's by filling in the gaps. We called him the junkyard dog last week. That's what he has to be. It's not running plays to get Trey Scott looks. It's Trey Scott getting offensive rebounds and putbacks and 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 getting those feeds from Jaron Cumberland on the break and those off-the-backboard alley-oops. That's his role on the team. And so when the team is, is clicking on all cylinders, he's finishing at the rim, we're in a better place. And I just, I'm concerned. It's, it's just a concern of mine that Javen and Trey have been consistently poor against the, the best teams we've played this season. I'm going to throw in another concern uh, that I'm having that doesn't involve. Yeah, well, I don't want to call it as much of the hate as as a concern because I don't think the these two players that I'm going to mention are not fulcrums. They are by no means expected to come out and score, you know, eight, ten, twelve, you know, fifteen points a game. But in in their roles are are very similar, and that's the fall off that we've seen since conference play started of Micah Adams Woods. 
Chris McNeil has pretty much been consistent with what he does. So I, I'm not I'm not really concerned about that. As like he's been playing defense, he just he just doesn't score. It's not what he does. Yeah, Chris um, Chris McNeil at this Mike point is a he's a defensive specialist, right? Like that's that's the only that's how you should think about Chris McNeil. If he can go on the court and never shoot a shot, that would be his ideal outcome. I think he doesn't even look for well, shots most of the time. But you're worried about tonight. You're worried about he didn't take. He didn't take you're worried about Mike. Yeah. You're worried about Micah and his level in conference play. Yeah, because uh, you know we were seeing him take a lot of shots. We were seeing some confidence early on in his game. That that's what led you and I to have the discussion on here about maybe we should see Micah Adams Wood starting over Chris McNeil, and we did see that happen, and we saw some success from it. But ever since conference play, we've definitely seen a fall off for Micah Adams Woods. Uh, he's he's not taking a lot of shots, not making a lot of shots. Maybe that's by design. Maybe that's that's what you know. His, he's been told his role is trying to be more defensive specialist as well. Uh, but you know, I don't think he's made in single game in conference play. I don't think he's made more than one shot in a, in a game. Yeah, it's interesting. He's definitely he's not going to be dropping those ten point games on a regular basis. I understand why it's being brought up as a concern, but I'm not as concerned about it. And the reason is. He's not going to be a guy we rely on heavily often on the offensive end this season. He's long. He defends well for a freshman. And when the ball swings to him on the perimeter, he's a threat to shoot the ball and to knock the shot down. And that is yeah. just as important as actually putting up the shot to begin with. Because the defense has to respect him. And when they respect him, it means they can't be as tight on Jaron. They can't be as tight on Keith. They can't be as tight on Javen. So just the threat of Micah Adams-Woods is important, and it's why I'm not as hung up on the box score stats as I am on his overall plus-minus with the team. And I think if we were able to dive into those synergy those uh, synergy stats or plus-minus stats, I suspect Micah Adams-Woods is still in really good standing there uh, based on the fact that he he's just an effective player for the offense even when he's not putting up big stats. Yeah, and, and I, I get I understand what you're saying there. There's a reason why he's still in the starting lineup. There's a reason why we're not calling for him to be benched in terms of being in the starting lineup. You know, he's still quality. He's still able to contribute to the team. Um, you know, I just in looking at the box score, like East Carolina, it's one of those games. It's really hard to really take the box score and pull a whole lot out of it because there's such a there's going to be a wide distribution because guys are getting minutes. You know, we saw Zach Harvey get get some good extended minutes, uh, 13 of them tonight. You saw uh, Jeremiah Davenport. Well, he, he didn't get too many, but he still got five, more than more than what I would say is normal. But we also had a really different point distribution between Chris Vogt and, and Jay Sirola, you know, where Jay Sirola outscored Chris Vogt for one of maybe two or three times this year. Uh, it just seemed like tonight's tonight's offense ran a little more smoothly in terms of when our offense is really at its peak, we're seeing point distribution all across the map. That's, that's true. When you know this team is clicking. That's true. Yeah, and I think that's the way John Brandon wants to see it. He's, he says he wants to see, you know, double digits for four or five guys on the team that we certainly don't hit that game in, game out. And I think it has more to do with the fact that we just don't have exceptional offensive talent on the team. Um, but in his perfect world, with the type of system we run, that's what that's what we would typically get. I do want to put a bow on our love-hate segment here, unless you have one more after this, but I want to go ahead and say something I love came from the ECU game, and I think you mentioned it earlier. With games like this, it's tough to get too passionate 
or impassioned about uh, what the team is doing because we're playing. That's a really bad team we just played. Eastern Carolina, East Carolina is not a good basketball team. You should beat them down. But what we got to see in this game for the first time all season is Zach Harvey get extended minutes and be really effective in those extended minutes. The stats don't jump off the page. Six points, four assists, a rebound, uh, one of three from the field. He did knock down a three-point shot and got to the free-throw line four times. But when you watch him play and watched him tonight, this was easily the most impressive performance of his young Bearcat career. Uh, I'm actually I'm going to go out there and say I think it is impressive. You said only four assists. Let's put that into let's let's put let's take that and look at it in its bubble. He played for 13 minutes, had four assists. The leader on the team, Jaron Cumberland, played for 30 minutes, had seven assists. You had a guy who was making very good third outlet passes when he was getting the ball at the top of the top of the uh, the arc. He was passing it off for an even more wide open shooter. So that I think is is really promising, seeing that he has that vision. I don't want to call it Jaron Cumberland S vision, but he has the vision of being able to see open shooters on the court and get them the ball. Oh, I'm glad you called me out on that. You're right, because the points aren't the points aren't going to be something that you write home about, right? Hey, hey, mom, I, I dropped six points tonight. No, the assists though do jump off the page, and it's the way that he was functioning within the offense tonight. We saw what Zach Harvey brings to the table. He's a great athlete. He's he moves really quickly out there, but it seemed like he actually fully grasped what the offense is trying to do. And so when we say crisp passes, when he's swinging it quickly and decisively with the speed he does, folks, it's not normal for every player on the court to do that. There are plenty of guys who are on our team who don't make the pass quickly. Even Jaron Cumberland sometimes holds it too long. Zach Carvey was taking one or two dribbles and making an extremely quick pass, not only in his the time of his decision, but physically, the ball was flying to the shooter accurately, and it led to a Javon Cumberland three-point shot. It led to us breaking down the defense a couple times. He had a pick-and-roll opportunity. He had a great feed to Diara at one point. He got into he got to the hole at one point and dropped it off to Sorolla, who caught the ball and finished uh, against ECU. Honestly, this was a, this was a really promising performance from Zach Harvey. Some people are attributing it to just getting healthy after reconstructive ankle surgery back in February of 2019. I'm sure that's part of it, but he's been practicing and he's been playing. So in that case, I think, he, you know, you're healthy enough to play at that point. This to me seemed more like less to do with his health, more to do with the game is starting to slow down for him. He's starting to feel more comfortable in this, in this call at the college level in the John Brandon system and that's a really good thing for Bearcats fans, for the Bearcat basketball team, and potentially giving us another contributor off the bench going forward in conference play. Yeah, let's remember that. He, let's remember that Zach Harvey, the freshman, and he's a freshman that's not redshirted. You know, if we're looking at Zach Harvey and saying, "Oh, well, top fifty prospect," if you can't be calling him a bust. No one should be saying that at all, because he is a freshman, and most freshmen do not come off. Their, their, their freshman year and just go go crazy. When they do that, it's because they are typically already NBA-ready players that are going to be going one and done. Zach Harvey's not a one and done, and that is okay. He needs to develop, and that's what he's doing. We're seeing over this course this year, he's practicing with guys who are obviously college athletes. That's why they're, that's why they're playing with him. 
and also playing against college athletes. So, like you said, the game is starting to slow down for him, and he's, or you could say, he's catching up and speeding up to the game. You know, yeah, I just think it's important for freshmen and for or for guys who haven't gotten a ton of minutes. It's important for them to have success on the court. You know, I think this yeah. is part of the problem with Mamadou Diarra for for he's been with the program now for three years. This is his third year with the Cincinnati Bearcats. He's just starting to experience success on the court. When he checks in and plays his seven minutes, he leaves the court and he's thinking, you know, I just did a damn good job out there. I play with really effective defense. I disrupted plays. I'm blocking shots. I'm actually getting the ball in the bucket occasionally. And that's hit that confidence is going to lead to more and more success. And so Zach Harvey getting a taste of that success now should help him, not just this season, but it helps him come back for the next season, his sophomore year, and much more ready and much more mentally prepared to make a bigger contribution to the team. Yeah, and you know, not I know we've already skipped the next year a couple times, but it's going to be really important with the guys that we're losing, and we're going to be a very young team next year. I, I think that's something that that's going to get overlooked. We're going to basically we're going to have Keith Williams and we're going to have Chris Vogt, Micah Adamswood, Zach Harvey, Mamadou, Jeremiah Davenport. You know, three of these guys are are freshmen, and we're going to have. Two, three more freshmen that are probably coming on board that are expected to have roles in this team early on with with the hype that's coming uh, coming along with them. So we're going to need guys like Mamadou to experience success because he is probably going to be a major contributor in the, in the in some form on next year's squad. So that is that's a really good point about having him see success. Uh, but you know, as we're moving forward, we know you know with the Memphis game, the biggest thing. That we had, we missed, we just missed shots, poor slot selection again. We played great defense, so we need to see that moving forward. The good news is our schedule is about to go from zero to a hundred uh, over the next six games. Yeah, what and are I, you looking I, well, to see over the next six games? I'm actually, we've talked about it. I like our, I liked our non conference schedule, our early conference schedule. If you're comparing it to the early conference, yeah, we're about to meet. We're about to start seeing the big boys of this conference consistently over the next six games. And Hummer, we're going to know exactly where we stand. Honestly, probably after two of these games. Um, but if let's just read off the next six games, Hummer. So on Wednesday, the 22nd of January, the Bearcats travel to Philadelphia to play at Temple, a game, what, that, what? You will, a game that you'll be at. I will be at. And for anybody listening in Philadelphia, the Alumni Association is getting together at the Draft Horse Pub and Grill on Temple's campus. Uh, we will be getting there. Uh, I'll probably be there at five. We'll probably get there at six. I don't know. But <laughs> get there early, uh, have some fun, get warmed up for the game. Um, yeah, and I don't want to get, we're going to get going to the game early or, you know, you know prior to, I want to see, check out the shoot around. Um, we got some pretty nice seats. I think mine's right behind Dan Horde um, on that front row. Say hi to say hi to Dan and Terry for the podcast. Um, I don't know how I pulled that off. <laughs> <laughs> after after traveling to Philadelphia, Bearcats will come back home. SMU comes to Cincinnati on the twenty eighth. Houston, then another visitor from Texas, comes into Cincinnati February first. After that. Bearcats head to Kansas, play Wichita State on, on February 6th. Bring and me home a birthday win. Another road game after that. They travel to UConn on February 9th. 
and then Memphis comes to Cincinnati on February 13th. That Mark 16- that as a victory, guys. Mark the February 13th game as a victory right now. It's done. That is a done deal. I feel like the Cats that game are going to be coming back for revenge. I think that's they're going to absolutely destroy Memphis. I'm with you there. I'm with you. I thought I actually think we are the better team. They definitely have more talented players. There's a few players on that team. Precious Achua. Honestly, the the NBA upside on that guy. I see it, right? Like he yeah. he adds a little bit more skill to his game and he's going to be a great player in the NBA. But at this six games, these six games we have coming up, Hummer, that's our season. In terms of getting an at-large bid, these six games are it. So game in, game out, we're going to have to be, to bring our A game and find a way to finally put a stretch, a good stretch of basketball together for more than one or two games. Bearcats are going to have to to really rip off some wins here. Yeah, I think you're 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 100% right. And you know, I I'm going to use the the I'm going to say they need to win five of these games if we're going to be serious about getting an at-large bid. Like that's that's a I think that's a real number we're looking at in order for an actual at-large bid. Because once you go past these six games, you still have some some games in there. But I think I said I'm thinking you need to go from the uh, where was I saying it from? I think it was before Memphis. We had ten and four with what we needed to go. We lost to Memphis. We have three losses left to give. So you lose one over this next stretch of five, but then you're playing Wichita State at home, Houston away. The rest of those games are winnable. Yeah, I, might, I actually think I think every game in this conference is winnable. I think what you mean is the game there there should win there should be wins. You know, they, yeah, UCF, there's really no question Carolina wins again. UCF and we have Temple and South Florida on games senior we night. Should win. Temple on senior night. You know, like we're those are games we're going to win. This team's good enough to just close those games out. These next six games are fifty are fifty fifty contests for the most part. So if you go five and one, or yeah, five and one through that stretch, you get some leeway. Even there is a small stretch that if we go four and two, but honestly, four and two, I think we're standing there on Valentine's Day saying to each other, we need to win the tournament. Yeah, and don't get caught up on the record itself, right? Like We know we have to win a lot of these games. We just have to win most of our games at this point. So to to get caught up on the record is kind of besides the point. Bearcat fans, the next six games are going to... We're going to see what we're made of. And we've both said it, Hummer, off off the podcast airs, airwaves. I have been impressed with this team's toughness. You know, they go down. They've gone down to really good teams. They went down to... um, at Memphis, we found, fell into a 15-point deficit in that second half, and there was no quit in the Bearcats. They turned around, went on a huge run, took a lead, and you know they didn't close the game out, but the mental toughness of this team is there. You know They bounced back, and Jaron Cumberland in particular bounced back after a, a, a game against Colgate that they completely gave away, and that Jaron shot the worst shot in Bearcat history, yet he's come back and is playing some of the best Bearcat best basketball of his career. So I have no question. There's no question in my mind about the mental toughness this team has. Now it's about going on the court, executing, and ripping off some wins. Well said. Before we head off here, Hummer, I did want to make mention. I like making mention of our of our upcoming opponent here. Uh, Temple, the only game we have this week. They are an excellent defensive team. They're, they're top 20 
in Ken Palm defensive efficiency. However, they're a horrid offensive team. They are 242nd in adjusted Ken Palm offensive efficiency. The Bearcats' defense should do wonders against them in terms of disrupting them, holding them to a low score. It's going to come down to how well we do on the offensive end. Can we resist turning the ball over? Can we find ways to knock down some open shots, as our as our man Bob Huggins used to say? Um, we'll see. Time will tell. But I'm really looking forward to this next stretch of basketball for the Bearcats. So, Coomer, it's that time. And this is your week. It's time to dedicate this podcast to a former basketball player of the University of Cincinnati. The top 15 in wins in Division I program. Legendary Cincinnati Bearcat basketball program. You're catching me off guard here, Hummer. So let me go ahead and make sure I, I, I think of a good one for this podcast. In the meantime, let the people know where they can find us online. If you guys have any suggestions, you want to hear us talk about anything, you have something you just want to get off your chest, heck, maybe we can even get a fan on the podcast. Reach out to us at Twitter at CincySlangin' or email us at CincySlangin' at gmail.com. We are open to suggestions. We are really wanting to, to start having some, you know, some other fan perspectives on here. This is something that we do. It's, it's fun to record, uh, and we really want to be able to get you guys involved as much as possible. We thank you for all the support that you've given us. And, you know, just remember to keep hitting up uh, Retire 22. We're not going to stop that push until we get that rafter, that banner in the rafters. Hashtag 22. Good call, Hummer. Let's get that in the rafters. In the meantime, I've got our dedication. Cincinnati will throw it in, and the Bearcats can play for the final shot to try to win the game. 15 seconds to go. Jacob Evans the third, dribbling up the floor against Quinton Rose. Rose went for the steal, did not come up with a ball. Eight seconds to go. Clark sets a pick for Jacob Evans. Four seconds to go. It's up to Evans. He's near the top of the key. Two-point jumper. Bullseye with four-tenths of a second to go from just inside the top of the key. Cold-blooded Jacob Evans the third with a two-point jumper to put the Bearcats up. 55 to 53. That right there was a call from the legendary Dan Horde. Cincinnati Bearcats at Temple Owls. Games tied 53-53. Jacob Evans takes the, the inbound, dribbles it up the court, buries a long contested two, the worst shot in basketball, but nonetheless continues what, what ended up being just an absolutely epic season for the Cincinnati Bearcats in 2017, 2018, and Jacob was one of the main reasons for that. We all talk about Gary Clark. We know about Kyle Washington. Jacob Evans was an absolute stud his junior year. He ended up getting first-team all-conference honors uh, in the American Athletic Conference, but just an awesome two-way guard. You know, he was effective on the defensive end. Uh, You put him on the other team's best player, and you don't have to worry about them anymore. He was long, rangy, blocked shots, got steals. And on the offensive end, we know he was a knockdown shooter. He crashed the boards hard. He had he, he consistently made really big plays for the UC Bearcats. And, and given his efforts that season, he was actually able to leave 
the Cincinnati Bearcats early, go to the NBA draft, and get selected in the first round, number 28 overall, by the Golden State Warriors, where he's still out there making a name for himself today. Uh, He actually did just take a tough injury, a concussion, plus a broken nose. So get well soon, Jacob. Uh, I know that's going to be a tough tough injury to bounce back from, but we know you'll do it. Uh, Continue making a name for yourself out there in the NBA. Uh, Bearcat Nation. Bearcat fan base is incredibly proud of you, and you represent you represented and rep- continue to represent the university uh, in the best way possible to this day. So, Jacob Evans III, this podcast episode is for you. Cheers. <laughs>